You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Are patients with mild to moderate chronic obstructive pulmonary disease at risk for showing reductions in their cardiac output? Our guest today is Dr. Carol Watson, Director of the Women's Cardiovascular Center, Co-Director of the Program in Preventative Cardiology, and Director for the Center for Cholesterol and Hypertension Management at the University of California, Los Angeles. Welcome, Dr. Watson. Thank you. Let's start with a patient, a patient who comes to your office with shortness of breath. How would a physician first go about making a differential diagnosis? Like I said, we're going to start at a basic level. Right. So that turns out to be a very common clinical scenario. So we see shortness of breath as a common presenting symptom in a wide range of patients. It can be from a purely infectious process like a pneumonia, but oftentimes there's no obvious infectious etiology and there's just shortness of breath that patients complain of. And we're sort of left wondering, is this the lung or is this the heart? And I can tell you how many times I get referrals from pulmonologists saying, well, we were working her up for shortness of breath, but there's nothing in the lungs. Check out the heart and vice versa. We send consults the other way as well. Um, It's very difficult to pick out sometimes. And what we are seeing is reported in this paper is that patients with even minimal early changes of emphysema have cardiac differences. So it's not either or. It becomes even more complex because the symptoms of shortness of breath, it's not is it the lungs or the heart, it's sometimes both. How very complex and how very human of us (laughs) not to divide things artificially into extremes. But speaking of extremes, those of us who have taken care of patients are familiar with with the person who has severe COPD, and we know that that person's heart is suffering. Maybe you could tell us about that extreme, and then we'll work our way back to mild levels. We know a lot about severe obstructive lung disease and what happens to the heart. So when we get severe COPD, elevations in pulmonary pressures, that's a great strain on the right ventricle. So you get right ventricle hypertrophy and then ultimately right ventricular failure. And then in a sort of interdependence, you can subsequently later on get less ventricular failure from that. That is what we know about the severe situation. We're used to thinking of primarily right ventricular failure, and then very late we start to see some left ventricular dysfunction. What we hadn't really thought about before, really hadn't proven before, is that early on in much milder cases of emphysema, cases that really are what we would call subclinical, we saw this with pulmonary function testing and with CT imaging, but not patients who were symptomatic. These were subclinical emphysematous changes. We started to see left ventricular filling abnormalities even in these very, very early cases of emphysema. Well, you're focusing in now on, I think, the key question that you wanted to answer in the study. So let's hone in on the study published in the New England Journal of Medicine in January. Yes, this is a study that was performed by the Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis Research Group. The Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis is a population-based cohort-type study that's sponsored by the National Institutes of Health looking at the pre 
clinical atherosclerosis and some of its correlates in a patient population that's very diverse. So it's a population that contains ethnic groups, including Chinese, African-Americans, Hispanics, and whites. So it's a very diverse population. These are patients with no overt clinical cardiovascular disease, and that's very important. So these are patients who have no clinical cardiovascular disease at all. These patients have been followed now for almost 10 years, and we have been able to ask a number of different questions because they've had very high-tech imaging, a lot of blood tests, and we've seen them five separate visits over the course of that time. Some of the advanced imaging procedures that we've done have been cardiac CT scans for coronary calcification. We've also done CT scans of the lungs, looking for things such as emphysematous changes, as this study has looked at. The hypothesis we had in this study was that emphysema, even at its earliest stages, so just as detected on computed tomography, and also clinical airflow obstruction that we could measure via pulmonary function testing, we thought these early emphysematous changes or lung changes might be related to decreases or changes in left ventricular filling. And so we set about in this cohort to see if we could demonstrate that. The MESA group in general is just a rich storehouse of information for you, for data, for understanding a lot of things for which we have questions. This particular one, I'm fascinated by your results. Why don't you share those with our listeners? So in this population, again, nobody had clinical cardiovascular disease, but there were histories of smoking in about half of the participants. About 13% were current smokers, and the remainder were former smokers. And what was found was that for every 10-point increase in percent emphysema that we saw on CT scan, there was a direct linear reduction in left ventricular and diastolic volume. Similarly, for every decrease in airflow movement, so the extent of airflow obstruction by pulmonary function testing, was similarly associated with decreased left ventricular filling. So again, these very early changes of emphysema things that we can only see on CT scan or measure with pulmonary function testing, were associated with decreases in left ventricular and diastolic volume and filling. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Carol Watson. She's director of the Women's Cardiovascular Center, the co-director of the Program in Preventative Cardiology, and Director for the Center of Cholesterol and Hypertension Management at the University of California, Los Angeles. We've been talking about the effect of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease on left ventricular volume and cardiac output. Carol, these results were a surprise to you? Well, you know, our hypothesis was that, we, yes, we would see this. And so they weren't necessarily surprised, but we certainly knew that they would be groundbreaking because this is not common thinking in the field. We commonly think that in patients with pulmonary disease, COPD, we really don't get left ventricular changes until we're very severe, severely affected very late in the disease process. So to be able to see a left ventricular filling decrease this early on in the disease process was very novel and exciting to us. And any limitations of the study that you feel are important to share with the listeners? There's always limitations in studies, but there are many different confounding variables that were adjusted for in our analyses. So we think we have controlled pretty much for things like cardiovascular risk factors, et cetera. And in fact, some of the changes we saw in left ventricular filling 
were similar in magnitude to changes that we saw in patients with multiple cardiac risk factors. So these were not minimal changes. We could actually see clinically significant changes in left ventricular filling. Um, And we do believe that we were able to control for most of the covariates. I believe that most of the people listening to our broadcast are taking care of patients every day. With the insights that were illuminated in your study, what changes would you recommend that practitioners make a part of their practice, or what additional advice would you give them based on these findings? I would definitely think that this could impact management and how we evaluate such patients. So one thing that we often see is patients who are, you're in that quandary, is it the heart, is it the lungs? The first step a lot of times we do is to look at the heart, and while there's no overt heart failure, the echo didn't demonstrate any left ventricular dysfunction, but then you might see some echo signals that indicate diastolic dysfunction or decreased filling related to diastolic dysfunction. Carol, just to be clear, share those subtle echo findings with our audience. Actually, I'm not as well-versed on the specific findings, but there are certain signals that we're used to looking at and that our echocardiographers will read as diastolic dysfunction, impaired diastolic filling, and think it is an intrinsic relation of cardiac disease. But in fact, in these patients, we see similar findings, decreased left ventricular filling, that's related more to subclinical pulmonary disease rather than intrinsic cardiac disease. So, for instance, if we got that echo and saw this, it wouldn't necessarily be the case that we say, okay, we have an etiology, we'll just treat for this. But if you have a patient who's a smoker, current or former smoker, it would be very important to think about whether or not there are some subclinical COPD going on. We found most of the associations were significantly greater in individuals who had a history of smoking. So that would be definitely something to look at in our patients, especially with a former smoking history. And it sounds as though if the pulmonary function tests have not been performed at the date of this evaluation, this hypothetical we're talking about, that might also be a very reasonable test? That might definitely be a reasonable test. And remember, the changes we're looking at are early. So you're not going to see the classic changes of severe airway obstruction. But what we saw were even in patients with early limitations to airflow, you still saw this decrease in left ventricular filling. These days, we're all mindful of resource utilization and also, of course, keeping imaging to a minimum when imaging puts the patient at risk for radiation exposure. Given that setting, let's go back over again the evaluation of someone who presents with shortness of breath and let's say a pretty normal physical exam. Yes, that's a very good question. So the imaging that we did in this study, the lung CT scans, would not be your first move in a patient who comes to you complaining of shortness of breath. That would be way down the list of workup you would do. The pulmonary function testing that we did might be early on in your diagnostic pathway because that is typically what we do in the diagnostic pathway between cardiac and pulmonary causes. Pulmonary function testing is quite early and that is something that does not pose any risk of radiation exposure, and most patients tolerate it quite well, that would be a reasonable place to go, certainly in a patient with a former history of smoking. 
the other usual pathway when we start to evaluate cardiac causes is in a patient with shortness of breath is to look at cardiac function, and oftentimes it's an echocardiogram that we do. Again, no risk, no radiation exposure in that testing setting at all, and it's a reasonable test to do when you have a patient who has shortness of breath and you're considering a cardiac cause, that would be a reasonable imaging study to do. Now, going further than that, looking to lung CT scans for percent emphysema, it really wouldn't be indicated in the initial diagnostic workup. And Carol, how about a BNP? And a BNP is clearly something that can be useful and helpful in patients with shortness of breath from a cardiac etiology. A BNP can help you distinguish between cardiac causes and pulmonary causes. However, BNPs in what we think of as sort of diastolic dysfunction may be only mildly elevated in a range which you're still kind of not certain. And in that case, you still should think about the possibility that this patient with a history of smoking has early emphysematous changes that are impacting their ventricular filling. And Carol, you're an expert in so many fields, but also in gender differences in some of these markers and in diseases in general. So the BNP a little different in women than men? Well, BNP is released in response to ventricular stretch. So the ventricular mass makes a difference. And so if you have greater ventricular mass, then there could be greater levels of BNP. So you might see more some in men of greater body mass, for instance. When we looked at our analyses, you know, when we controlled for sex and everything else, we still see these same associations. So we think this holds for all comers. Well, let's move into management of patients, especially informed by the findings in your study. How does this alter your thinking about the management of patients with diastolic dysfunction, mild to moderate COPD? Well, I certainly think that we're still going to manage the impaired ventricular filling pretty much the same way. It's not a difference in management as much, but a significant refocusing of our attention on other concomitant conditions. So whether or not this is pure diastolic dysfunction or if there's some element now of their clinical pulmonary disease. And in that case, remember, 13% of our participants were still current smokers. You could make a huge intervention there if you could say, listen, we see early emphysematous changes that are impairing your left ventricular filling, and this can be at least stopped, we hope, if you can stop smoking. So giving patients a greater impetus to do something that's so difficult, such as stopping smoking. We've been talking with Dr. Carol Watson about the effect of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease on left ventricular volume and cardiac output. And the findings of her study uh, reported in the New England Journal in January. Dr. Watson, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.